Well, good morning, church family. Go ahead and grab a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there, the verses will be on the, on the screen behind me, but there, is, uh, there are, ver- there are uh, Bibles in the seats around you. Now, this morning, we're beginning a new series that we are calling When God's People Pray, Aligning the People of God uh, with, with the Heart of God. And I want to begin by asking you a question, and I want you to kind of think about this. What, what's the point of prayer? Why, why is prayer so important? And if prayer is so important, why do we struggle with it so much? I mean, if I went around the room and I asked you, how's your prayer life? Church, the vast majority of us would probably say something like, well, you know, I, I, it, it really needs some improvement. I really ought to be praying more. The vast majority of us would say that. And, and what I found as a pastor is prayer is one of the most consistent areas of struggle uh, for for Christians. And so there's nothing more important in your Christian life than prayer, and yet we, we tend to know more about Star Wars and Stranger Things than we do about prayer, right? And, uh, and, and so today I, I really want to talk to you uh, about prayer, and, and uh, part of the reason why we struggle with prayer is because there's so many misconceptions that we have uh, when, it, when it comes to prayer. A lot of people view prayer as kind of a first aid kit. So, so they view prayer, you know, as something that they only do, you know, in a crisis or when they're ap- absolutely desperate. It's like the little sign over the fire alarm that says, use in case of emergency. Well, a lot of us kind of view prayer in that way. When there's an emergency, that's when we're going to pray. But all the other times we've kind of forgotten about it. And so prayer, prayer is just kind of a first aid kit for us. It's like, Lord, if you'll get me out of this jam then I, I promise I'll go to church more, I'll read my Bible more, and, uh, you know, th- those kinds of prayers. Another misconception about prayer, and this is probably the biggest one, is that prayer is just a religious duty that we have to do. It's just an obligation, it's something we've got to be involved in, and we're, we're, we're kind of fearful that if we don't pray, we'll kind of be in, you know, God's doghouse. And, and so we approach serving God as, I've got to do this. It's an obligation. Or kind of related to that is prayer is just kind of a religious performance. So the thought process here is I've got to say the right religious cliches. I've got to say the right words to hopefully impress God that he'll give me what I need him to give me. And so we see, we see prayer as a religious performance or obligation. I think another misconception about, about prayer uh, that's very common is prayer is just kind of a good luck charm. We see prayer as, or we approach prayer as, well, you know, you know maybe, maybe it doesn't always work, but, you know, every now and then it'll be like hitting a lottery. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe God will answer my prayer, and it's kind of viewed as some kind of good luck charm. I remember when I was in high school, I played high school football, and our, our head coach would have the team pray the Lord's Prayer before we went out in the field. Now, I don't know if any public school is doing that today, but, uh, but back in the day, that's, that's kind of what we did. And, and really, for most of the guys on the team, um, it was more of a superstitious ritual than anything else. It was kind of just said in the hopes that nobody would get seriously hurt because we prayed this prayer and maybe the ball would bounce in our way and we could win the game. And so, and so we see it as a good luck charm or, or maybe a magic wand. Now, here's a question, church. Have you ever approached prayer in one of those ways. And I would think most of us have. Uh, I, I, I definitely have. And, and I think what happens is when we don't understand the point of prayer, when we miss 
what, what the purpose of prayer really is, then what happens over time is prayer really evolves into something about me, where I become kind of the center of prayer. And so then our prayers take on this character of, you know, God bless me, be with me, and watch over me. And that's really the content of our prayers. And, and then we transition to our family. God, be with my family, bless my family, watch over my family. And then if you've got a friend or two in need, you throw their names in, bless them, be with them, watch over them. And, and all the while, we're kind of the center of, of our praying. And then I think because of that, that's why there's this tendency to get into a rut when it comes to prayer. That it, it just becomes dull and dry and fruitless because we feel like we're just saying the same thing over and over again, because in essence, we, we kind of are doing that. And uh, I mean, if you take the words, you know, bless and be with and watch over out of our prayers, then there, there really wouldn't be any prayer requests that we're praying. And so, and so John MacArthur is a pastor and in his book, Jesus Pattern of Prayer, he, he really talks about some of these misconceptions and he, and he says something really interesting. I want to share this quote with you. He says this, because communion with God is so vital, the enemy seems constantly to introduce errors into the church's understanding of prayer. And every generation at every time faces the necessity to purify a corrupted and confused comprehension of prayer. So what he's saying there is our communion with God is so vital, the enemy's not just going to sit around and let us have uninterrupted communion with God. He's going to come after us. And what he does is he tries to sow misconception and misunderstanding in our approach to prayer. And so the question then becomes, well, what if, you know, what if I were to suddenly realize that, that maybe we're not getting prayer right? You know, what if, what if the primary purpose of prayer is not really to get God to give us stuff what if that's not the primary purpose you know could it be that our struggle with prayer is is directly related to just not understanding prayer completely I I really think that it is I, I think if we can clear up some of the misconceptions then I think then I think all of a sudden prayer becomes new it becomes fresh right? It becomes fruitful and joyful and, and powerful. So what I want to do this morning is I want to just take a few minutes and I want to try to answer just two questions about prayer. I want to talk about why do we pray? I, I want to get us, I want us to kind of get clear on why we need to be praying. And then secondly, I want to, I want to talk about how to pray. Because one of the questions that I get as a pastor is often, Scott, I don't know how to pray. Prayer for me is awkward, it's, it's laborious, it's hard. Can you, I must be missing something. Can you teach me how to pray? So I wanna, I wanna spend kind of the bulk of the morning uh, even on that question. So first, let's just kind of think about why do we pray? And, and we're gonna get to Matthew chapter six here in just a minute, but let me, let me set it up this way. There are two reasons why we pray. We pray, number one, because God is worthy of our prayers. The most enduring motive for why we come to God in prayer is because he is worthy of our prayers. That God is infinite in his glory. He is perfect in his goodness. He is complete in his love. And he is, he is 
unlimited in his grace towards us. And, and, so, and so because of that is why we come to God in prayer. I, I don't pray to avoid feelings of guilt with God. I, I, don't, I don't pray to try to get the church to grow. I, I don't pray so that maybe revival and awakening will come to our country. I, I, I don't pray because I'm trying to gain God's approval. And, and I certainly don't pray to get things from God. The reason why we pray is to get God himself. That's why we pray. You see, prayer is not, the point of prayer is not to just get stuff from God and, and hopefully, you know, bend God's ear enough to, to get him to do things for us. The heart of it, prayer is worship. Prayer is adoration. Prayer is giving the creator of the universe our undivided attention. That is really what prayer is all about, that we, that we walk away from our time of prayer with him. We, we walk away from our, our time in the presence of God with the presence of God going with us. That's why we pray. And so what that means is there are times when I don't feel like praying. There are times when I do feel like praying. There are times when I sense that God is answering my prayers specifically and directly. And then there are other times when the answers to my praying are not very apparent. There are times like that. But the reality is, it doesn't matter what time it is. Because at all times, God is worthy of my attention. He is worthy of my affection. And he's worthy of my adoration and my worship. You see, worship is at the heart of prayer. And prayer is at the heart of worship. They're basically interchangeable. They're, they're basically the same thing. I mean, when you think about it, in heaven, we're not going to be confessing our sins. We're not going to be making prayers of intercession for other people in heaven. We're not going to be doing spiritual warfare in prayer in heaven. But what we will be doing in heaven is we will be declaring for all of eternity, like Revelation 5.12 says, worthy is the, is the lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, and glory, and blessing. That's, that's what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. And, and so prayer gives us the opportunity to warm up for eternity, to get ready for eternity. So, so I pray first and foremost because, because God is worthy of my prayers. Secondly, I pray uh, because I'm needy, church. I pray because I'm needy. God is, God is worthy of my prayers, uh, but I am needy. You know, Daniel Henderson is a pastor, and he says that prayerlessness is a declaration of independence from God. So if there's no desperation in our life, then there's no praying. And if there's no praying, then there's no real desperation in our life. And so the heart of true prayer, the heart of life-giving prayer is, God, I need you today. I can't do this today. This is beyond me. I need your help today. And God, would you, would you bless me? Would you strengthen me? Would you, would you do this in me today? You see, prayer is the expression of our need for God. You know, we, we sang about God's worthiness 
and about our need just, just a few moments ago. And what's interesting is in Psalm 40, verse, verses 16 and 17, you see both of these reasons in, in just two verses. Notice how the psalmist talks about the worthiness of God and our need. He says, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. You see, because he's worthy. He's worthy of our prayers. But then notice this, as for me, I am poor and needy, the psalmist says. But the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. You see, I think that growth in the Christian life I think that growth in Christ-likeness in the Christian life is, is, not, is not all of us gaining righteous capacity every day. You, you know what I mean? Like, like, like growth in the Christian life is, is not me rising up on an elevator of mastery in the Christian life, in the spiritual life. I, I don't think that that is growth. I don't think that's maturity in the Christian life. What I think maturity in the Christian life is, is realizing my desperate need for God more and more every single day. Having my eyes open and awakened. I can't do this. It's not in me to do this. What's in me is broken, right? What's, what's in me is sinful, so I need a power greater than my sinful nature within me. And so that's how we approach prayer, is that, that God is worthy and, and I am needy. And so, so here's the question, and this is where, where I really want us to focus on uh, this morning. Then the question becomes, if, if that is why we need to be praying, then how do we pray? How do we pray? I believe Christians really struggle with prayer because, because often they're not following a scriptural pattern for praying. They're just kind of praying according to them. And, and, so, and so prayer just kind of evolves into something even about us. And so we struggle with prayer. And, and that's not really anything new. Uh, the disciples struggled with prayer. They, they really did. And what's interesting about the disciples is, you know, they grew up in good Jewish families, they, they grew up understanding the basics of prayer. They, they prayed prayers. They heard their families praying before. They, they memorized prayers that, that are in the Old Testament. They, they knew about prayer, but, but as they spent time with Jesus, they saw something different. As they spent time with Jesus, they, they saw that Jesus shared an intimacy with the Father that they didn't have. They, they saw... an uh, an effectiveness in Jesus praying, a power in his praying that they didn't have. They, they saw the result of Jesus' prayer life, which was joy in his relationship with the Father. They noticed these things. And so they go to Jesus and they say, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? We want to pray like that. Like we know the mechanics about prayer, but we really don't know prayer. And so Jesus answers them by giving them uh, the, a pattern of praying that's recorded in the Lord's Prayer. Now, what is interesting about the Lord's Prayer, you, you probably already know this, but the Lord's Prayer is recorded in two places in the Gospels, two separate places. So it's recorded in Luke 11 when the disciples asked Jesus this question. They were, they were, in, they were in Jerusalem. And, and then it's recorded in Matthew 6, which we're going to look at in just a minute, when Jesus was worked it into his sermon by the Sea of Galilee. 
And, uh, and what he does in this is he gives us the pattern for prayer. And I don't know about you, but I want to pray like Jesus prayed. Can I get an amen to that? Like, I, I don't, I don't want to pray according to Scott, right? I, I want to pray according to Jesus. And, and so I'm going to ask as we read, we're going to read a part of the Lord's Prayer, or we're going to read the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, let's stand together. And I want to show you this pattern right from Scripture. So Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, pray then like this. This is verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. Now, as we just did that quick flyover of this, I want you to notice two parts of this prayer. And, I'm, and then I'm, I'm going to share four movements with you. But I want you to notice two parts. The first half of the prayer deals with God's worth that he is worthy of our prayers, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That whole section is acknowledging that God is worthy of our prayers. And then the remaining section is dealing with my need, that I am needy. Give us this day, our daily bread, forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against us. Church, that's daily life right there. Like forgive me and help me to forgive others. That's just every day slogging it out in life, is it not? And, and so that's, that's what we see. And so what Jesus specifically does, and I'm, and I'm gonna just give this to you in just a moment, but he gives us, those are the two main movements of the prayer, but I'm going to show you four. And, uh, and I believe, church, that if you will incorporate this into your praying, if you will commit to taking just 15 minutes of your day and you will pray, and you will pray through these four movements, I, I will tell you, you're going to experience the presence of God like never before. You're going to experience answer prayer like never before you're going to experience strengthening and joy like never before because this is the pattern that Jesus gives us now as I as I give you these four movements I'm indebted to uh, a pastor named Daniel Henderson and uh, he's written a book called transforming prayer and so much of what I'm sharing with you comes from this book here's what I would like for you to do I would love for you to order this book and just read it uh, it is really good and it is it has revitalized and refocused my own praying. And so uh, Daniel Henderson, Transforming Prayer, uh, an amazing uh, book on, that equips you in, in our prayer. So what are the four movements to prayer? All right, let's, let's just jump in and let me show you the first one. Jesus says, pray then like this. Here's the first one. Here's the first movement. Reverence. Reverence. And what reverence does is it answers the question, who is God? That's what reverence does. 
Look how Jesus begins the Lord's prayer. This is the pattern that he establishes for us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So what he's doing here is he's instructing us to begin our praying with reverence to God. Prayer always begins. The starting point for prayer always begins reverencing God's character, exalting God's character. It is, it is an upward focus of kind of worship and adoration. And notice how he describes it. He says, he says our Father in heaven. That's how he reveals God to us. He reveals God to us as a father. Now, here's the question. What kind of father is he? Well, I think scripture paints this picture completely and perfectly. Uh, first and foremost, uh, God, God is a caring father. So he says, our father in heaven, he is a caring father. We can come to him in prayer at any time, anywhere, because he cares for us. So that means that maybe your earthly father didn't care for you, but your heavenly father does care for you. In fact, Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 5, 7. He says this, cast all your anxieties on him. So he's saying, when you pray about what you're afraid of, when you're praying about your, what you're worried about, when you're praying about your anxieties, know that he cares for you because God is a caring father. Secondly, God is a consistent father. So we, we reverence God because he's totally consistent in his character. He never changes. Have you, have you noticed, church, that, that people are often fickle and unstable? You ever notice that? But God is completely consistent and completely reliable. He never changes. And um, a part of this is the fact that we worship the God who never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and, and forevermore. And so he is, he is entirely consistent. You know, one of, the, one of the greatest struggles that children have with their parents is on this issue of promises. And uh, so many children live in resentment and rebellion towards their parents because their parents have made all these promises and broken those promises. Even the best of parents can break a promise, which is, which is why it's a good idea to limit your promise making. Um, but here's the thing, church. Here's what I want you to see. God never breaks his promises. He always keeps his promises. He is entirely consistent. He never changes. He always keeps his promise. Let me show you this from 2 Corinthians 1.20. The Apostle Paul writes this, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Now, who is the him that he's talking about? Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. And so, and so all the promises of God find their yes in him. And, and so that's why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And then, and then third, and this is really good news as well, but God is a close father. He is, he's a close father. He is, he is not distant, but he is, he is close in all that he does. He is near those who need him. This means, church, that he is available and accessible always. Your God, our God, 
as a close father and he is and he is always available and accessible maybe your earthly father was never accessible maybe he was distant maybe he was detached maybe he was divorced from your world from your life that could be one of the reasons why you struggle praying to your heavenly father because so much of our image of our heavenly father comes from our earthly father and what we need is to allow the word of God to shape our image of the character and the nature of God, which we're going to be, we're going to be talking about just in just a moment. And, and, so, and so the psalm says it like this. He talks about the closeness of our heavenly father. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. So the picture that we get just from scripture, I've just shared with you three verses. God is caring. God is consistent and God is close always. And so that's the God that Jesus reveals to us. That's the father that he reveals to us. But I want you to notice something else. You know, the Lord's, the Lord's prayer is so, it is so powerful and so concise. There's so much in it. So just think about this. Jesus says, our father in heaven. So what he's, what he's communicating to us in the word father is, is really the imminence of God, the closeness of God, that we can know him. Then he throws in the phrase in heaven. And what he's talking about there is the transcendence of God. So he's bringing these two characteristics together, the closeness of God that we can know him, we can relate to him, but he's also transcendent. Like he transcends creation. And what that means is he's separate from creation. God is not a part of the universe. God is not the soul of the universe. God is completely other from the universe. He's separate from the universe. Like he holds the universe in his hand. He's not the universe. He holds it in his hand. That's the transcendence of God that Jesus is hinting at. And what he does is he strikes this perfect balance between his closeness and his holy otherness. Our Father in heaven. It's pretty amazing. So we can come to him knowing that, he, that, that we are close to him and he's close to us. And we can come to him in adoration. And so reverence answers this question, who is God? Church, listen to me. We need time reverencing and worshiping God for who he is. Because something happens when we do that. What happens is as we focus our mind and our hearts on the character and the nature of God, then what happens is my, my preoccupation with myself starts to change and I start to become occupied with God. I, my eyes begin to be open to his love for me, his grace towards me, his patience with me, his power, his resources available to me. And, and all of a sudden, I get my eyes off myself, my preoccupation with myself, and I begin to be occupied with God. And I begin to change. And I begin to see him for who he is. And I, I see myself for who I am, a, a, a child of God, a, a son of God. Uh, or daughter of God. And so we need that time. Now, church, I know we know how to do this. 
because, you know, I know you like to root for the Colts. And so you know all about reverence and worship, right? Or you like to root for Center Grove or Whitelid or Mooresville or whatever it is. You, you go to, you know, the sporting events and you root for your favorite team. And we know all about praise when it comes to that. But then like we have this disconnect when it comes to praising God for who he is. And so I want to give you, I want to give you um, a really important kind of resource for your prayer life. All right, you guys ready for this? Be ready to write this down. Use your Bible in your, in your prayer time. Use it. Open it up. And specifically, what happens in the Bible is it's constantly answering this question, who is God? It's constantly answering the question. We sang about God's thousand different names today. And what you see is the revealing of those names and you begin to know who he is. And so when you use the word in your prayer, you begin to see this is the God that I'm worshiping. And so, and so it's so important. And, and, and specifically, this is what I do uh, in, my, in my prayer time. I go to the Psalms for my prayer time. You know, the Psalms are so unique. They're so different. In every part of the word of God, it's the word, in every part of the scripture, it's the word of God speaking to me. But the Psalms are different. What you have in the Psalms are us speaking to God. See, the rest of the Bible is God speaking to us, but the Psalms are the prayer book of the church. And I mean, church, if you've not read the Psalms, you got everything in the Psalms. You've got praise, you've got adoration, you've got lament, you've got complaint, you've got heartache, you have tears, you have sorrow at night, but joy in the morning. And what the Psalms do is it gives the language of our prayers to God and they reveal, they answer this question, who is God? Now, let me just, let, let's just, let me show you this, okay? Because I'm going to give you an opportunity to practice that. But let me just show you Psalm 46. It's one of my, one of my favorite Psalms. And I'm going to show you the first five verses of this, all right? Now, as I read this, I want you to be thinking about the question, who is God? Who is God? Why should we reverence him? Notice, notice what, what Psalm 46 says. God is our refuge, and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. That's daily life right there, right? Just different circumstances that we go through. Look at verse four. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. So you're getting a picture of who God is here. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. And so what I do in my prayer time is I take a Psalm and I extract what the Psalm tells me about the character and the nature of God. This Psalm tells us He's my refuge, he's my protection, he's my security. And I speak that back to him. This Psalm tells me that he's my strength when I'm weak. 
which is very, very common. He's my strength. This psalm tells me that, that God is holy, that he is the most high. There's no other God like him. So here you get a picture of God that informs and shapes our praying and our reference. And so what I want to do, uh, Adam's going to come out and I want us to take a minute and I want us to practice this church. I, this is the audience participation moment of the sermon, okay? And we're just going to take a moment and I'm going to prompt you and I want you to just close your eyes and I'm going to prompt you and you just complete the prayer prompts, okay? And you're going to spend time reverencing God silently in your heart of hearts. Everybody get it? Let's, let's pray together. Lord, I praise you because and you just fill in the blank. Most holy God, I praise you because you gave me strength when? Just fill in the blank. When did God give you strength this week? praise you that you've helped me when I encountered the trouble of whatever it is. It could be a relationship, it could be sickness, it could be financial. How did God help you? Verse 8, the psalmist talks about, behold, the works of the Lord. Take a moment and praise him for how he's working in your marriage, in your family, in your own life. Even, even, if, you, even if you can't see it, praise him for his works. And then I want us to finish by thinking about attributes of God that, that really encourage you. God, you are, fill in the blank, holy, loving, whatever it is. God, you are. Speak those to him. so God we just give you praise today because you're worthy of our praise you're worthy of our attention God you're worthy of our affection we're so quick to praise men 
But God, I pray you would help us to be quicker to see who you are, to praise you. Because you alone deserve all glory and honor and praise. Help us to get our eyes off of ourselves. Help us to not be preoccupied with how we feel or what we're going through or what's happening to us. But God, help us to be occupied with you and your greatness and your glory. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. So that's the first movement. That's reverence. And it answers the question, who is God? The second the second movement is response. How should, how should I respond? So, so when we reverence God, we are looking up to worship and adoration. But response is all about bowing down to the character and the nature of God. Let me show this to you in Jesus' pattern of prayer. Verse 10, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what's the kingdom of God that he's referring to? The kingdom of God that he's referring to is anywhere Jesus is allowed to rule and reign. It's the rule and the reign of God. That's what the kingdom of God is. So this is part of our prayer time where we're asking God to rule and reign in us. This is the part of our prayer time where we articulate to God, God, I commit or recommit my life to you today. I'm committed to doing your will today. That needs to be a part of our praying. And so there's the reverence that softens us and opens our eyes. And then once we see him, we respond to who he is. This is the response of surrender. God, I'm surrendering to your will and to your purposes. This is what this this is all about. It is is really the response of surrender. Now, church, I'll I'll be honest with you. And I've shared this with you before, but when I... When I go to bed at night, I, I generally know who I am. You know, I'm a child of God. Uh, I'm a servant of God. Uh, I, I'm generally good with that when I go to bed. The problem is when I wake up in the morning, I have no idea who I am anymore. Anybody else like that? Like, like that's just kind of the way I am. And, and so I wake up and I've got to get recalibrated. So that's why I pray in the morning. Now I, I realize prayer in the morning may not be feasible or or possible for you but for me that's what works for me because I've got to go back I've got to get in front of God reverence him and then respond to him and uh, and that's why I pray in the morning because I recommit my life to him starting early in the morning and then and then honestly if I'm just being transparent with you I have to do it several times during the day as well but I do it just in my relationship with God. I, I think you have to do that too. I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's your experience as well. I love what John MacArthur says about this. This helps us to understand, I think, prayer a little bit more uh, completely. He says, prayer is not asking God to do my will. It, it's bringing myself into conformity with his will. It's asking him to do his will and to give me the grace to enjoy it. And, and, so, and so if we skip reverence, and we skip response, we usually go right into requests. And then because we've skipped reference or reverence and response, then we start into our prayer list and we're just telling God what we think he should be doing. And church, that's not our place. He's God. I'm not. 
And I confess to you, I've done a lot of that praying throughout my life. But God in his grace has grown me to help me to see that misconception. I'm not here to tell God what to do. I'm here to reverence him, to surrender to him. That, that's, that's what I need to do. And, and so, and so when, when our, our praying just becomes a list of things that we're trying to twist God's arm to do, then my praying becomes dull and dry. And so here's the question I want to just kind of throw out to you. Is there any area in your life right now that you need to surrender to God? Is there an area of your life where you're, you're struggling submitting to God's will in your life? If you're a human being, there is. If you're alive today, there is. So a part of our praying needs to be reverence and then this response where we're coming back in alignment with the will of God. Maybe you're holding on to unforgiveness. Maybe you're holding on to some kind of disappointment or discouragement. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe you're struggling with some, some kind of sinful habit, whatever it might be. We need to come into God's presence saying, God, I surrender this to you. I give you myself. And uh, that's such an important part of prayer. Now, let me show you again from Psalm 46 what this looks like, okay? Because this is right out of the Psalms. David understood this. The psalmist understood this. Look at, look at verse two. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of sea. What he's saying there is, Lord, I surrender my fears to you. That, that's what he's saying. He's, he, this is a, a statement of commitment to God. Look at verse five. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. And so, and so this is an affirmation of faith. God, I welcome your help in my life in this area, in lust, in gossip, in whatever it is. I welcome your area. Uh, how about... How about to just verse 10? Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth, God says. So, so what you're praying there, what the psalmist is praying there is, I, I submit my thoughts, my situation, my plans to your help and uh, just to seek your glory alone. And so there needs to be this surrender. And, and so Laura and Adam are going to come out and they're going to lead us in a prayer. We're going to we're going to sing this prayer, um, this prayer of surrender, but they're going to lead us. And I, I want you to respond. And I want you to let this be your prayer as we sing. It's just a prayer of surrender. So let's, let's worship God together.
so God, that, that is our prayer today. Thank you that you love the prayers of your people. Thank you that you know all the areas where we struggle, all the areas that we hold on to. But God, we just declare we belong to you. And we offer ourselves to you completely and wholeheartedly. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. And then the last two. So there's reverence and response. And this is, this is the easiest one. This is the requests. And this is the, answers the question, what am I, what am I praying about? And uh, you see this in, in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus gives us a place for this in verses 11 and 12. He says, he says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so, so this is really dealing with the resource issues of life, what you need. It's also dealing with the relationship issues of life. You know, uh, people that you need to forgive, sins that you need to confess. And so, and so as we bring our requests to God, we, we're in the right frame of mind because we've spent time in reverence, we've responded, and now we come to him with requests, looking to him and depending on him for everything that we need. And so we're praying for personal concerns. We're praying for family issues. We're praying for our friends. We're praying for our daily situations. All of those things are things that we're praying for and lifting up. And so, and so, um, whatever they might be in your life, you take that moment and lift those to God in request. And then lastly, and we're gonna end with this, is readiness. This is the last part of, of the prayer pattern that Jesus gives us. So we go from reverence to response and we go into request, we list those before God and then we finish or conclude with readiness. And this answers the question, where do I go from here? And this is the acknowledgement that uh, there's a battle ahead of us. There are trials ahead of us. There are temptations ahead of us. And Jesus acknowledges this in verse 13 of the Lord's Prayer. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. And so this is part of the prayer that we live in a fallen world. It's acknowledging that we are being opposed, that we're being tempted, that we're being lied to by the enemy of our souls. So how do we prepare? We prepare asking God to give us the strength to overcome temptation. Because the reality is we can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own power. And so what I want to do is I just want to take a moment and I want us to have a prayer where you pray for the upcoming battle that you're facing this week. Whatever temptation, whatever struggle, whatever trial that you may be into, I would love for us just to take a moment. Would you pray one more time with me and I'll, I'll prompt you uh, through this. Lord, I trust you in your pre presence and your protection in whatever it is. Lord, I look to you for strength in this temptation. Father, you are my victory in this trial. 
So, Father, thank you for your protection. Thank you for your strengthening. Thank you for your love. We pray all of this in your precious name. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Let me just say one more thing and we're done. I know we're going a little long today. This is Jesus' pattern for praying. Reverence, response, request, and then readiness. I want you to try it this week. And I want you to know that what Jesus is teaching us, Jesus did himself. In the greatest trial of his life, in the greatest temptation of his life, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you remember what he prayed? Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Because he went to the cross, his death on the cross opens the door for us so that we can come with confidence into the presence of the Father. That's how much you are loved. That is what he did for you so that we can pray in the first place, so that we can pray to begin with his love for you. So we're going to respond today, and I'm going to ask you to stand together as we sing, and, uh, and uh, I want to just encourage you in your prayer life.